Yeah, don't don't move yeah, the statues. Don't mess with the statues. Did it anyway. F you guys. That was I my that was my like, second one. <laughs> I love how Kefka is literally fighting with some of the crew as they're pushing, trying to push him back. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> He's like, that's not what I wanted. It's so hilarious in 16 bits. You don't move these things. You don't touch it. <laughs> it is currently in balance. If you move it, it will be in ruin. Touch the statues, you say. <laughs> don't mind if I do. Just a reminder, this is a spoiler-heavy podcast. The notes for what that series might be popping up will be in the description. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Gaming Theater Podcast. Today's episode is episode 8, Don't Cross the Streams, and other powerful things we just stay away from. In order to go through this topic, though, I've got a couple of guests with me. If you've heard of some of them before, let's just quickly introduce ourselves. Uh, once again, my name is Leo, and I am also known as the Geek Scorpio. I'm Liz, also known as Zombie Hand. I am Brandon. I am also known as Tomato Man on Yield Tomato Gaming. I am Nathan. I am also known as Aram the Red. All right, great. Now with this, before we get started, let's take a trip to the Magical Merch Booth. Hi everyone, this is Zombie Hand. Leo, the Geek Scorpio, wanted to let you know that the Magical Merch Booth is going to be closed down for a bit as we're getting ready for a live podcast at the Gem State Gaming Convention in Boise, Idaho on Saturday, July 2nd. Gem State Gaming Convention is Idaho's premier board game, tabletop role-playing game, and trading card game convention. Three days packed full of tabletop gaming of all kinds, with fun interactive experiences featuring local and regional artists and exhibitors, a board game library with hundreds of options to check out all weekend long, including dozens of titles you can potentially win and take home with you in their play-to-win library, guest speakers including Gaming Theater Presents, and some creative workshops. This convention will be held at 850 West Front Street, Boise, Idaho, 83702. A link to the site will be available in the description. The convention will be going from July 1st through the 3rd. You can follow Gem State Gaming Convention on Facebook and Twitter for a full schedule of events as they're posted. If you're in the area, stop by for our live podcast on Saturday the 2nd. Thank you for listening, and now back to the show. Alright, so... With this episode, let me give you some guys uh, uh, the listeners at home sort of a backstory for it. Anyone who's done any kind of writing or such, there are things that are out there called tropes. You know, they're just basically story elements that are kind of cliche. Tropes themselves are not bad. It's just sort of depending on how the writer or the creator uses these tropes. Now, in the TV trope site, if you've been one of those guys who have hung out at the TV trope site far too long, than or more often than you should have. Um, there used to be a trope namer for a particular trope called Don't Cross the Streams. This trope is a is one that was named after the movie Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters had a scene there where basically Egon, the um, brilliant scientist of that, explains that they should not cross the streams. And when he was asked by one of his partners, why you don't cross the streams, and they explain that it'll do a total particle reversal, and it will basically level a whole section of the planet in their own dimension for it. So don't do that. It's an important safety tip. Do not wipe out part of your existence. <laughs> and, you know, a good portion of... Like, I don't remember the numbers on it, but at least, at, at least a good portion of the United States in one felt swoop of explosion. Some sound. Sound, solid advice. Now, 
anyone who's seen the movie knows that they eventually have to do it because whatever the big bad that they're trying to deal with, Dozer is so powerful, in order to take him out, they had to still cross the streams. They just did it in the other dimension, on the other side of the doorway. Let it be the other dimension's problem, not yours. So that's where these tropes sort of come from. This is an item or some special attack or some special ability that the heroes of the story have that they choose not to use for one reason or another. And they're very... The amount of the danger is so high and so critical that it's not worth putting that everyone in that kind of risk if you can avoid it. So that's sort of how we start. Now, Ghostbusters is a famous example. That that's not the only example for that for those ones, and so you can and you'll find these examples typically in science fiction, but they're kind of all over the place. And so we'll go over and give out some of these examples for how these stories and storylines play out for those and where they go. In a rare case, some of them have been so dangerous that they actually don't use it. Another similar trope to this is uh, one that for writers that know it's called Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun is, and correct me if I'm wrong with this one, Chekhov's gun is the, is the idea that if you're in a story and you talk about, and there's a, and you do talk about a gun that's put on the table, at some point in the story, you have to use the gun. If there's, if there's a smoking gun, you have to explain why, or there has to be a reason for it. It's it's a really good way to not draw a. It, it's more like a writing device. Um, it's a way to not draw like you you don't want to draw attention to something that doesn't matter. Um, and to tangent just a little bit, it's like this is something that I that is pretty infamous in um, uh, the first Suicide Squad movie. Um, one guy has like a plush unicorn, like his daughter's plush unicorn. Um, that he keeps in his jacket and he shows it. So it's the setup. And then he shows it again, which is the reminder. So you get the setup, the payoff and the, or the set off the reminder and then the payoff. And then when he gets shot, you're like, Oh, he'll be okay because he has that thing. But then he pulls out a wad of cash. And so there's no payoff for it. So that was a failed mm-hmm. Chekhov's gun. So it's more like a writing technique than an actual, like, um, like weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a very severe bait and switch there. It's it's a trope. It's a metaphor. What was that, Brandon? It's a very severe bait and switch. Yeah, that was pretty ridiculous. But yeah, so that one's more like a writing a writing thing. Um, you just never want to draw attention yeah. to something that you're not. You don't want to draw significant attention to something that you're not going to touch again. Yeah. Now these ones are sort of considered um, your type of forbidden Chekhov's gun. This is the ones that are just so powerful that they bring it up. You don't use this unless there is literally no other option for it. There's a bunch of interesting examples for it. So one example I really like, and this spoils a good portion of Farscape for it, um, is the show Farscape. The main character in that, his name is John Crichton, and he gets he has the ability to build uh, what's called wormhole tech. And everyone in the galaxy's fi- oh wants it because essentially he's one of the only people that knows how to find a way to go from one end of the galaxy to the next. And one group wants to use it to deliver a bomb to the other side of the galaxy to finish off this giant war. And he tries to explain to him, no one should use this and no one should have this kind of power or responsibility. It's too much. Um, there's a, uh, quote that they have in there in the, in the show, which I don't think totally agree with, but I understand what they were getting at, which was, if you're smart enough to know how to you how to make it, 
you should be smart enough to know to never use it. And so, at the end of the series, he uh, these guys are going to go tooth nail. They're going to destroy a good portion of the galaxy just so oh, that way he uh, nobody else could can either use the wormhole tech or to convince John Crichton to give them the wormhole tech. And at some point, he says "f it" and decides to and gets it built and decides to fire it off with all the ambassadors of every group uh, watching on tow. And one of them is like, yeah, well, let's see what this does. And you watch as it slowly but surely starts eating away at the entire galaxy. And it's so... I love the way that they pointedly, like, deliver it, this line. Because someone just asked him, um, John, how, how dangerous is this? And his response is, you take a penny and you double it. And you table it the next day, you double that. You do it the next day, and you double that. You know what happens after you get after you get to the end of the month? You're a millionaire. And they just watch as these sections of this galaxy just gets eaten away over and over and over again. At this point, everybody starts sweating bullets and starts worrying, and they go, okay, okay, could you stop this and turn it off? And his response with that, which I always thought, I don't know. <laughs> I told you, don't let me touch this. Don't let me do this. Shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have done it. But yeah, so like, that's this devastating thing. And he tells everyone, don't do this until he finally decides. They're like, all right, fine, I'll do it. I know uh, one that I found over my research, which is not thought of very often. Do you guys remember Tailspin back in the late 80s, early 90s? I watched that as a kid. It was the early 90s, I think, late 80s, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I remember it, but I couldn't, like, I watched I watched it in the 90s, but I, it doesn't mean it was a 90s thing. <laughs> yeah. It's called syndication. It's a great thing. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, so, I don't know if you guys remember the, it's a weird thing that happened with 80s and early 90s cartoons back then. Some of those would do premieres, and their premieres were actually um, more like mini movies. Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from the 80s did that. It was actually the first four episodes back-to-back as one one film. Um, Gargoyles did that with Awakening. It's the first three episodes are back-to-back like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of gone out of style, and I think that's mostly because of how animation now just works out. It's just easier to just just a lot, an hour of time to do it and break it up later. So anyway, in the first three episodes of Tailspin, um, you get introduced to Baloo and uh, and the characters on it, and partway through the second episode, he has to get away from some uh, from the air pirates, but they actually have him completely surrounded, and he's trapped. He has a switch that he pulls out of this uh, out from the sea duck, flips the switch on, and it forces it to go ridiculously fast, but overclocks his engine horribly. He gets asked why. Uh, he goes, "Wait, you can do this the whole time?" He goes, "No." If I turn that on, at best, I can keep it going for maybe 7 to 10 seconds. And he doesn't turn it on because it would destroy the sea duck. And it levels a good portion of it. It would make this massive explosion anyway. And so he has to use it at the end of the third episode because that's the only way to stop the Iron Vulture. The giant air pirate ship attached to a giant death beam. <laughs> a good time that's a good time to use it i mean if you're out of options and it's okay my plan is already a suicide mission by flying a plane into another plane and then blowing it and then overclocking it and hoping it blows up hey go big or go home man yeah baloo knew what he was doing i love baloo so i i have to say liz i'm pretty sure i just figured out which one it 
it was that you're like you're you're picking this one. I'm really mad about it now. <laughs> yes, you're you're shaking it. Why? I'm mad that you figured it out. <laughs> well, it took me a second. Well, if you figured it um, out. So I I now have three. And now I'm um, probably down to wow. one. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, um, just a heads up for that Tailspin one, though. It never comes up in the show again. He can't rebuild it. That's right, yeah. I, I do remember that he's like, yeah, this is a super big thing. And it's like, I use it once and what then never done. again because I don't know how to build it. Built it, it once in a fever dream and then couldn't recreate it. <laughs> I think it's like, he's like, yeah, I built this thing in my sleep. I don't know what it does. Yeah, something like that, right? You want to turn it on? Not really. Can I go first so that <laughs> I can? Yeah, go for it. So let's see what dangerous thing that you've So it's not a man-made item. Uh, this is the one I think that Brandon... I thought Brandon was going to have first, but now he's going to try and steal from me. Um, it's not a man-made item. Um, it is the meteor su- summon from Final Fantasy VII, which can... The, the black materia. Yeah, which can absolutely destroy the world and that's why like that i mean Aerith dies so she can cast holy from i mean that, that's not why she'd oh yeah spoiler alert for like a 25 year old game <laughs> um what oh, oh my gosh <laughs> Aerith dies no what look my sister still doesn't know she's that is gonna be we're playing final fantasy 7 remake and i am gonna just let this ride out <laughs> Um, but she yeah so um Aerith dies and casts holy from the life stream um to stop meteor from being summoned and it's actually a big thing with the remake is um people are are guessing that in the remake we're going to be given the option to save Aerith even though she kind of wants to die um because she needs she knows that she needs to be able to cast holy from the live stream but that's all a theory that's just that's just a theory yeah luckily well uh, that version of ff7 remake won't be out in time for this podcast to ruin oh, this. nowhere near nowhere, nowhere near. near that that was the one that i <laughs> that i had the black materia meter meteor <laughs> You yeah. just wanted to make sure you got that one so glad the one that i think that liz might also have had on her list oh i'm excited because um, i feel like you might you might get it. Uh, I'm going with the gate from Full Metal Alchemist. <gasps> Ooh, I oh, didn't yeah. have that one, yeah. but that is a good one. Okay, I'll be honest. I didn't see all of Full Metal Alchemist. So, what is this gate? The gate is a is basically something that exists within every individual. It is the source of all alchemic knowledge, and more or less. Um, allows entrance to God's domain and no one is meant to see what's inside of it. And whenever... Isn't isn't that what Scar is summoning? Or isn't that what Scar is trying to do? Scar is trying to create a Philosopher's Stone using the entirety of a city as the sacrifice to that do it. That city, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean... Technically, this goes for two spots in the full Yeah, game. so in doing that, I guess technically he would be accessing the gate. Uh, because the way that you... That wasn't his intention, though. Yeah, exactly. The way you open the gate is by performing a um, a genuinely forbidden alchemic act. Uh, in Full Metal Alchemist, the protagonists do that immediately, where they try to... Oh, yeah! Bring someone <laughs> they try back to bring from the back dead. bring their mother from the dead. So they have 
all of the things that you know are required um, for a human body, all of the the chemical composition in a pan with an alchemic circle, and then they need a don't how how can you um, get a human soul? What's the cost of a human soul? Well, they they prick their fingers and drop some blood into the little mix, and then they transmute in performing human transmutation um that activated the gate of truth uh what which is what through their naivety yes <laughs> and it literally swallowed all of alphonse's body and would have taken his soul had um edward not given up his leg and his arm his literal arm and a, leg <laughs> as a literal like means of keeping the soul on this plane and then he puts a seal on a piece of metal to tether the soul to it. How much is it going to cost you to keep that soul in this dimension? Uh, an arm and leg. Literally that is yeah. the oldest joke in Full Metal Alchemist history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Took it to an extreme there, buddy. Well, no, actually, technically it's just the arm because he lost the leg with the other stuff. Uh, oh, that's right. But yeah, so and but upon doing that, since he survived his ordeal, he was then basically given the ability to transmute whatever he wants without the use of a transmutation circle, which is basically you can get the solution without doing the math is effectively oh, what it is. I just love Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> this just makes me want to rewatch. That is literally the premise because the, you, the transmutation circle is literally r drawing out your math on the paper. Uh, the outcome is the solution to your math problem. Uh, he claps his hands and touches whatever it is, and then whatever he wanted to do with it, there it is. Happens. He just gets it. He he gets to skip showing his work. Yeah, but at the cost of, okay, almost looking into the... The one time, it's the one time he does it, and then he gets that ability across the board until the end. And it's... Like, no, most alchemists do not have that ability because of what it takes to get there. Mm. And so him being able to do it, people are like, this kid's been through some shit. We already know. Or he is extremely powerful. <laughs> yeah, like, as a proper example on that note, um, Al took the brunt of it. That's why he is technically non-existent. The, in, the, the idea is that the price to be able to do that is your own existence because it swallowed his body and nearly his soul. It's almost a catch 22 for it. Yeah. So it's like, dude, not, not worth doing. And then scar. And I know about the philosopher stone scar has a, a makes a philosopher stone, but the quick one, the dirty way to do it is to level the entire town. Yeah. It's literally just, you're expending the, the essence of a soul to skip the math. Mm-hmm is what the philosopher's stone is. And he's like, I need to make a philosopher's stone. So I need like hundreds of thousands of people to just be like, yo, get in this rock. I'm gonna borrow you for a second. <laughs> Never mind the ethics. Never mind the ethics or anything. Exactly. Yeah. Ethics. Get in this rock. There you go. <laughs> um oh those that's a good one. I forgot that our full metal actually had two of those. Yeah. Like I knew about the philosopher's stone. I did not know. I remember about the gate part of that. The gate is only like done at the very beginning, mm -hmm. and then it's touched on throughout because he makes trips, if you will, to the gate because he has a overarching plan where he wants to get his brother's body back. 
and he's like, as he's doing these questionably borderline, you shouldn't be doing this um, against all odds transmutings. He gets to take a visit to the gate, but he doesn't open it because he knows that if he opens it, he might not be getting back out. Right. It's 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 all over the line of taboo. And at that point, everything you know and hold dear is forfeit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They got one fun under the hood on this one. Yeah. I was thinking of one from probably a, not an underrated series, which is Legend of Heroes. Uh, there is a, I'm going to call it an artifact that comes up and is mentioned multiple times throughout the game series, although you never directly uh, have to encounter it. It's something called the uh, the salt pail, or otherwise called the, the great salt pail, which was something that happened. In, so everything within the Legend of Heroes takes place within a singular continent across all of the existing games. And in a uh, northern uh, territory, this, uh, this instance or a situation with something called the salt pail occurred, which looked like there, there's an image of it you can find out there that was from uh, the third game from Trails in the Sky. It looks like this massive tower of nothing but salt that goes straight up to the sky and touches, goes through the clouds. And what a, this was something that just appeared on a specific day and time. And what it did... Uh, it just rapidly started spreading and solidifying everything around it. It was in like some large uh, evergreen forest in the territory. Everything it touches, it just solidifies instantly and it spreads. Jeez. Uh, it just instantly crystallized as it goes across, destroying everything in its path. So it, it, there was nothing to say that this was going to occur beforehand. It just seemingly appeared out of nowhere at least according to the initial reports when it was uh, first when it first was uh, introduced. It's just like, yeah, I heard about that when this happened way over there. I can't believe how much destruction actually happened there. Uh, and it, it takes... So, you know, like the, the trope with like JRPGs and anime is that the church is usually evil. <laughs> I mean, with, so let's let's get real here, all right? There's a reason. It, there's, a, there's a reason it's a trope. It's because the people in charge at churches are generally evil. So in Legend of Heroes, that is not the case. I don't believe you. You're a liar. Then you can play the game. <laughs> <laughs> play Final Fantasy X. Final Fantasy X proves this accurate. Now, some of the things they might do could be considered somewhat questionable to some extent, but they have uh, their own uh, secret military. Somewhat like an like elite force, aside from their clergy, called the Grawls of the Ritter, that they uh, are. It's just a small group of people. There's maybe a, a baker's dozen of them at most, but they're the elite of the elite, and they all have a, some special ability that's granted by the church. Uh, so, one of their agents was sent over to investigate the Saul Pale, and it took one of these guys to even stop this thing and they had no idea what even caused it in the first place. They found some artifact at the center of it when they were actually able to stop it and uh, restrict its spreading and, and completely halt what it was doing. 
but they have to put that the artifact that caused it under massive lock and key because the second it gets out somewhere and somebody like, oh, what does this thing do? <laughs> hey, what does this do? Uh, you know, I'm just going to take it home. You know, just immediately destroy a city and level the entire area. It's turning it all to salt. You know, talking about salting the earth. This is very literal. It's, it's a grand example of putting up a sign that says, do not touch. Suddenly everyone must touch it. <laughs> yeah, so the Girls Ritter have a archive where these artifacts are held under massive amounts of seals and barriers and be like, just piss off. Do not touch. <laughs> Ever. Get out. Yeah, so... That that uh, that event and that mm-hmm. uh, artifact does come up multiple times. There is something that is in, a, in one of the later games that something similar to it does occur in multiple areas, but doesn't cause the massive amounts of destruction. It's being used for some other purpose. Like they copied the salt pail, but uh, but uh, modified it heavily for a totally different purpose. That also would have led to probably massive amounts of destruction, but that would be massive spoilers to uh, Trails of Cold Steel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that sounds rough. Um, one that I like that, uh, honestly, a show I think it's a uh, cartoon that needs to get a bit more credit is Jackie Chan Adventures, especially since I I don't know if they mocapped Jackie Chan for some of it or not. I know they did it for an earlier PS1 uh, Jackie Chan game. They mo-capped uh, motion capture. Yeah, it was like called Jackie Chan Stunt Man or something like that. Stunt Master, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, in Jackie Chan Adventures, it's uh, Jackie Chan plays the role of an archaeologist and also has to take on a demon named Shendu. And this demon is sealed away by having um, 12 talismans that deliver massive amounts of power. Now, the talismans themselves are not the subject of what we're doing here. One of the things that happens at the end of the first season is that Jackie Chan manages to stop Shindu, and he, in order to stop him, one of the talismans is a, I think it's the rat talisman, and what the rat talisman does is it turns, um, what the rat talisman does is is it brings life to the lifeless. If you have a statue, it brings that to life, and when that talisman is removed from Shindu, ter- instead of him being in his crazy big dragon form, he's turned into a uh, into a statue plate that can just be hung on the wall. In fact, that's what he's been stuck at for the last like several centuries for it. So anyway, he has this. Uh, so Jackie finally gets the the thing. His uh, niece is there. Her name is Jade. Gets uh, one of the other talismans, which is the dragon talisman, and lets you shoot fireballs. Really powerful fireballs. And so she grabs it, uses it on the statue of Shendu, because Shendu can't do anything. He's a statue now, so he just fries it and destroys it. Um, their uncle, who's been, who's a practicer of these magic arts, comes up to him, and it's one of my favorite things. He goes, you destroyed Shendu? Who told you to destroy him? Who told you to do this? And Who told you to do that? Who says that? And Jay just turns... Oh no, Jackie! Jackie Chan of all people just turns his voice to his knees. Jay did it. She did it. <laughs> Don't want to take the blame. <laughs> and the reason why is that he go uh, is that they do that is because you can't. Uh, Shindu's considered an ultimate evil. If you destroy the big bad, 
the rules have to balance themselves out, so an even worse bad has to come up to take the place. Uh-oh. So basically, you're, you're giving birth to a, a greater evil by destroying that evil. Yeah, they're placeholders, basically. So that's why the Ancient was the ones who locked away Shendu in the first place, locked him away, so he doesn't do that. Which I think is an interesting topic because not a lot of people, not a lot of stories explore that. You, um, they're like, okay, we shouldn't destroy the the big bad because we're the heroes, we're the good guys, right? No, you shouldn't destroy the big bad because something worse is out there, and this thing has been holding it back. There's an old saying that goes, no, the devil, you know, is what it's called, um, where you know how bad this guy is, but he's at least been checked to keep other even worse things at back. And so every season when, because, uh, so the next season that comes after that is instead of having to deal with one demon, giant demon, they have to deal with eight almost uh, deity level demons. Because oh. you gotta kick it up a notch. Whoopsie doodles. Well, it's a, I think that's just a weird way of exploring it. Um, another way to go about it is, uh, is um, Gravity Falls has something like that, which is the journals in Gravity Falls. Um, in Gravity Falls, these journals have the secrets of Gravity Falls and all of its properties and magics and things that are happening in, in the place of Gravity Falls. The, uh, I think it's Ford is his brother. Anyway, to give the journals to his brother Stan to get rid of him, but he never wants him to be destroyed. And you kind of, it's a weird meta thing, but if you think about it for a second, it makes perfect sense. The big bad at the end of the series is Bill Cipher. The instructions on how to... Is that the triangle? Yeah, the, the triangle, which is also a chaos demon. <laughs> or the pyramid, I guess. <laughs> I don't know why I, was, oh, I agreed with you on that one. Like, it's a pyramid. Triangle! Don't, <laughs> he looks don't, like this. Don't underestimate or forget his top hat. He looks like a triangle with an eyeball in it, yeah. He does have a very dapper top. I do like that people will spray him in the eyes like, Whoa, why? And it's like his biggest, like feature on there next to the pyramid that's why duh um but anyway so bill cypher is a chaos demon and there and there isn't really a way to stop him but there's instructions on how to stop him written in the journals so they become they go from cool journals with information to need this to stop bill cypher because i don't have a whole lot of other options um and most of it's because in the i think you uh Ford writes in those journals in invisible ink um, stuff so Bill can't see it. Ooh, clever. That's cheating. Clever bitch. Clever. Clever bitch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of, like, demons and devils, another one, an old anime series. Did you guys ever watch Slayers? Some, yeah. Uh, I saw the movie. Yes. Okay. I I saw, like, bits and pieces. I can't say I saw, like, a ton of it. So in Slayers, the, uh, one of the main characters, her name is Lena Inverse. She's a powerful mage. She's the main character. Yes, yes, yes. She wants bigger boobs. Yeah, that's what. No, her sister has the bigger. Her whole goal. N- no, that's not her goal. Her goal is to make herself super powerful every time. <laughs> no, she wants big. Well, no, it's uh, she's afraid of her sister, who also who does in fact have big boobs, as far as the canon is concerned. Look, I've only seen the movie, and the entire plot point was get to the fountain <laughs> of aging to make your boobs bigger. That was the end goal. Okay. <laughs> I missed a whole, whole lot of that anime. Life goals. Look, that's the only thing of Slayers I've seen, and she levels a forest also. 
I, I mostly remember how people were super slutty for Zelgadis. <laughs> that's, most, <laughs> that's most of my knowledge of it. The 90s in anime was a weird time. Courtesy of Blockbuster Movie Rentals. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> All right. Anyway, I was gonna bring up Blue Seed, but that because that also had a lot of like boob stuff in it. But that that that's anyway. Look, everyone likes boobs. Okay, they're, they're good stuff. Good. See. Anyway, weird segue. Um. So in yeah. Slayers, uh, Lita Universe has this very powerful spell. She's the only person that knows how to do it because the you have to go through some special stuff to get access to it. But it's called a Giga Slave, and the thing is that other mages have. Uh, just stay away from going to use the Giga Slave and and learning that spell. But Lita didn't care. She wants, she's well, just wants to be the 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 most powerful mage that she can. Um, it turns out she doesn't realize what the Giga Slave actually does. So it gives you all this power on loan from uh, from demon deities. And if you use it enough, though, you get possessed by the Lord mm. of Nightmares. You know. Like every girl wants. Power, Lord of Nightmares. It's a thing. Well, I'll talk about becoming a mean girl, huh? That's why her hair's so big. It's full of secrets. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe it's secrets. Okay, so I, I found the thing. Slayers, the motion picture. August 5th, 1995. 62-minute runtime. Uh, before going back to the mainland, Lena remembers that she wanted to visit a hidden hot spring promised by uh, Rowdy. Uh... But there she discovers it is a... 90s anime and hot yeah. springs. Um, it's magical water that makes things like vegetables grow older, not growing bigger as she had hoped for her breasts. Shouting angrily at the ghost of the man, Lena runs away in shame, followed by Naga. There you go. <laughs> I just think of Ranma and how much stuff happened in hot springs in Ranma 1. <laughs> hot Hot water, cold water, okay? <laughs> well, that was the thing, is if you fall into, you tr you go to those training grounds, and then it's like you, Ranma fell into the spring of drowned girl, and what's-his-bucket turret fell into spring of drowned panda, and Yeah, so now if he gets wet, his dick falls off. <laughs> it just gets tucked inside. He has an innie instead of an Audi. Goes to another place and then comes back. Yeah, 90s anime was a weird time. <laughs> well I love it. It was really good. If we're going to go back further, then I suppose we'd probably have to mention at some point the last Starfighter. Yes. I was hoping someone mentioned that. Hey, talk about a great segue. The last Starfighter is not just a uh, not just a clever title. He literally is the last Starfighter. That's his jam. So like, did he forget? What? Did he forget that it was his jam? No, he's the last Starfighter. But he had to forget so he could have Jamnesia. Boo. No one asked you. So um. Did you did you pull did you pull something trying to get to that? Did you, did you stretch um, no, before I didn't that stretch reach? Before that reach, I openly admit I should have because it hurt. <laughs> um, if you want to take this one, uh, Nathan, or I can I, I can talk about it. You and I can both kind of jam on this since we're talking about jam so much. Nice, jam it out. <laughs> so this does fit into that that category pretty well, though. <laughs> Don't ever use this. No, don't you ever use this. Don't don't do it. So there is in Last Starfighter um a ability that you can do that uh, is put on an experimental ship. It's the last Starfighter's Starfighter class ship. Girl, very thematic on that one. Very original. 
Very original. Is it the first weapon on the last Starfighter? No, that's uh, a set of lasers. Pay attention to the film if you're going to keep this up. Buddy. <laughs> um, Damn it. Because uh, that thing has lasers and missiles on it, and it has a special feature in it called the Death Blossom. The last laser on the left. It goes pew pew. The last laser on the left. Now, Nathan, do you happen to know why you're not supposed to use the Death Blossom? It's a little indiscriminate. Just a little. The irony of that is that if you want to use the death, because the Death Blossom shoots lasers and missiles in every direction, and um, in a 360 degree motion. Oh, more than that, it's spherical. Yeah, it's spherical, right? Yeah, you could shoot it in every direction in space. Right, because this is meant to be done in space. So three dimensions, buddy. Sphere everywhere. <laughs> Why stop at three? Let's go fourth dimensional. Um, they have a the guy the the his co-pilot that's in there is like, yeah, we could use the death wash him, and and he asks him if he could if he goes, has anyone actually survived this? Theoretically, and that's a key word that you don't want to hear when it's your last move. <laughs> I think the only that like he's desperate to use this because he has to take out an entire armada single handedly. It's virtually a self destruct, right? You do not self-destruct. The reason okay. why you don't use the Death's Blossom is because you will hit your allies. Right. I wasn't sure, though, if since it's spherical, if it was also inversely shooting as well. Like, if it was, like, imploding and exploding at the same time, kind of. Oh, no, no, no. It's like you're at, at a point at the center of a sphere, and there's uh, vectors going everywhere outward gotcha, to gotcha. the surface of that sphere. So, uh, not only that, but this is like... A good defense is all offense. <laughs> <laughs> the best defense is this offense, apparently. Yeah, because you're also a sitting duck. Although you're firing everywhere, you're sitting in one point and cannot move. Yeah, you're a sitting duck. If you have any of your allies that are within, and it shoots a good amount of range, but uh, you're guaranteed to hit somebody. And then afterwards, it would just deplete every power cell, every energy that you have. Like you, when that's spent, you're you're done. That's it. You better have gotten everything because <laughs> that's it for you and otherwise. Like, if it wasn't for the fact that he was the last server, he would be totally doing friendly fire everywhere. Um, I don't know why this reminds me of it, but there was there's a, technically a real-life maneuver, uh, flight maneuver that you can do in older planes that they choose not to. And it was an old way, I think, in the 50s and 60s to stop um, heat-seeking missiles. What you would do is what's called the pelican knife. You would fly straight up into the atmosphere, and when you get uh, to as high of a climb as you can, and you turn everything in your system in your machine off. So, because it's all off, uh, and you're so high up, it's so cold in the in the high upper atmosphere that it uh, heat-seeking missiles um, would don't they just don't have a place to target anymore. They wouldn't track any longer. Mm -hmm. The reason why they don't do that very often is because when you fly down, because you're in a cra in a crash course, the hardest part of it is essentially trying to jump start your jet while you're in free fall. It's just moving too many parts at once to to do it. But if you could do it, you can. Um, you're hitting um, escape velocity. You know, basically the max speed that you can drop down with uh, with, with gravity pulling on you. No, no, no. That's uh, the inverse. <laughs> Escape velocity is for uh, getting out of the atmosphere like a rocket would. Right. Okay. I'm uh, sorry. That's. Uh, yeah, you're thinking of terminal velocity. Terminal. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Terminal velocity. 
Um, Sphere of Velocity is still extremely fast, though. I mean, depending on the object. Yeah. Depends on the object. Like, a human body is, like, what, 121 miles per hour? Yeah, somewhere like that. It's all... It's based on weight to mass, or yeah, weight to mass ratio. Yeah, because if you're an ant, your terminal velocity can't die from falling because their terminal velocity is so small that they max it out the second they fall anywhere. <laughs> However, the terminal velocity of a plane is much bigger. Yeah, that's kind of cute. Right. So if you're in a crash dive and trying to get your <laughs> engine started again, you better do it quick. <laughs> <laughs> Another one that um, I know of is the movie Dogma. Um, old. The spoken word of God. Uh, that's what Metronom's uh, job is, is to talk in place of God. Yeah, because God's voice would literally destroy the universe or some shit. Oh, it kills everything in the in a 10 mile radius. Like, the only reason uh, God says something at the, towards the end of the movie is because everyone in the 10-mile radius is already dead, except for Jay and Silent Paul. When you've killed off everyone that could potentially be in danger at this point, you know, who cares? Who cares? Yeah, like, it was supposed to be one of those things of, like, never let the deity speak, or else. <laughs> There's a lot of deities that are like that where we don't let them speak. Um, Marvel Comics has something like that, too, with Black Bolt. Um, Black Bolt's voice is so powerful that they whisper would kill something. Crazy. Hmm. Yeah, he's, I think, rated as one of the most powerful beings in the Marvel Universe. The more you know. Uh, I have one more. Um, I don't think you or Liz would have picked it, but because uh, it's, it's one of those ones that's kind of, I feel like the show's underappreciated, and I wish there was more of it. So it's going to be the um, Caster Shell number four from Outlaw Star. Oh, man. Oh, I remember Outlaw Star. I didn't get to watch most of it, but... Yeah, I just watched what I could catch after school on Toonami. I, I fought to watch that shit. <laughs> I, I Toonami's loved... a jam. Dude, the, that show has one of the most bopping openings. It's like the J-Rock is so good. Um, <laughs> anyway... Um, Boppin. So those that don't know, the caster gun is basically a um, a hand cannon a la RE4, but it fires specialized shells that are imbued with a um, thought-forgotten magic. Caster shell number four um, literally fires a black hole. Oh. Oh, I remember that one. Yes. I think he uses it in the show a total of like two times or something like that and um the one person to, that technically survives from it is uh i'm pretty sure his body is just fucking gone and it's his spirit that survived but in, ends up disintegrating anyway <laughs> mm. it's really messed up but effectively um it also harms whoever uses it oh so it's like probably don't want to use this thing because it physically like negatively impacts the person that fires it on top of the fact that it just places a black hole into the target in front of them and causes them to be um, pulled apart from the inside out. Yeah. Don't miss with a black hole. Yeah. Well, don't even shoot the black hole because it hurts you. Like as it's traveling, it hurts because <laughs> it's pulling you with it. Because I know he uses it... Like, he uses it towards the end of the show. And, um... Right. That's, like... 
Because there's something out there, like, I can't remember, I didn't get that far in the series, but I think there's something out there that's just so beefy tough that that's the only thing that that's strong enough to actually yeah uh, more or less it's basically he's trying to if i remember he's trying to save one of his companions who also happens to be like Mm -hmm. the living computer of his ship (laughs) yeah um and it's a matter of well if i don't get this person back we're all gonna die anyway this is the only way i can really do this uh so you know might as well <laughs> cuz i feel like introducing one of these types these types of things these like universe destroying things is a type of chekhov's gun because if you're going to introduce it you better use it mm-hmm. there is one i have found that you they introduce it and do not oh, use here we it. go i found the descriptor actually it oh, for, for the chapter number 4 oh, yeah also, yeah so good. the the big yeah. issue with it is in the absence of mana the user's life force is consumed to uh, in in the use of it, whereas in other casters it just won't fire. So, so that's very uh, full metal alchemist ish. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, because it literally zaps your own life force, probably taking years off of your life to just fire it once. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it doesn't work all the time either. I mean, well, yeah, if you miss, <laughs> you're gonna fuck up whatever you hit, but. Which, oh, by the way, there's a picture of it in a Hot Springs Planet episode. Oh. <laughs> oh. We're circling back around to Hot Springs Planet. You know what? I bet that's the same episode where the cat girl alien is taking a nice relaxing bath. Aisha Clan Clan. I remember her name. I let's see. see now I just want to go over to Japan and go to a real con in an actual office. Dude, don't even there get me go. started. That's like one of those things where <laughs> Jackie and I are just like, when we go, we're going to find a hotel that has an onsen, and we are going to fucking love it. I want to go. <laughs> Ooh, Hot Springs episode indeed. There is one episode, uh, series I found that actually has something that that's that devastating, and they and they present it as a Chekhov's gun, and they never use it because it's too devastating for it. And it's um, the 2012 version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There was a special crossover event with the 2012 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the and the 89 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because that's a fun thing to do have your 80s and your modern to, to combine. Didn't they get the old voice actors to reprise the 80s one too? Rob Paulson. Yes, they got the look. Rob Paulson's in both, so that that's a budget saver right there. That's called cheating. I am all for it. Cheers to that. Plus, you get to hang out with Rob Paulson. Yes, Rob Paulson's like one of my favorite voice actors of all time. He's so cool. Yeah, because he played in 89, he, or in the 80s Turtles, he was Raphael. But in the 2012 Turtles, he was Donatello. They actually make reference to why does this, why do we sound the same? I love that. I'm like, this guy's having a conversation with himself. <laughs> That's got to be awkward in the group. <laughs> but anyway, so they need their help to... The Turtles are tra- teaming up to help themselves to go with... Um, the 80s Krang who's planting what's called a dimensional uh, bomb and he's putting it in different universes and when they go off they will destroy the universe um, one of his allies finds out that he put, uh, planted a dimensional bomb and the second he finds out that wait 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 that's your plan put a dimensional bomb we don't do that because that will destroy an entire dimension and they just turn and start kicking the crap out of him <laughs> Because you don't destroy the dimensions. 
I also love how they deal with uh, multiverses, because the strength of a multiverse in the Turtle series is proportional to how um, early on the canon is. You destroy the one from the the original comics, you destroy them all. Right, because that's like that's the prime. It's the source. That's the prime. It's the source. Also, don't mess with the turtles in the prime universe because they're really, really mean. Like every time they show up, they whip whoever shows up. Well, yeah, the original <laughs> like comic versions were like hyper violent, super violent. Like. They kill Strider in the first in the first issue. Which then begs the question, how did the show continue? Strider comes back, classic comics logic, but not for a while. You, you get stabbed that many times, you just sort of uh, take a break. You need a... Kind of got to <laughs> lay there for a minute. You need to take a health day on this one. Help, I'm bleeding from holes <laughs> I shouldn't have. I'm going to take a nap. You're going to take a nap? I'm going to take, take a nap. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to take a nap for the next, like, four years. Uh, don't bother me. Yeah, those are, are, are a lot of really good examples, one. Um, some that are that get thrown around. Uh, Fry, Future Obama has, like, a bunch of them that they don't do, and they keep doing it. <laughs> the the tattoo that ben, uh, Bender has a code. The, the code. Fry. Fry has it tattooed on his butt. Yeah, the Bender QR code head. Yeah, Fry has it tattooed on his butt, and if you use that, it creates a time paradox. Oh, no, wait, you're right. It is on Bender's butt, isn't it? No, it's on Fry's No, no, it's a picture of Bender. Oh. Yeah, it, it's oh, that's Bender's right, that's head right. that when, like, a QR code yeah, yeah. was scanned, the world ends. No, no, no. It does. Uh, so what happens is it does it in the world that it lets you go back in time. But the caveat to that is it does not create a paradox. It's a paradoxless time machine. The problem is that because you have a paradoxless time machine, you now have two of you running around. Oh, so that, you know what? Because of that example, that makes the fact that Fry's his own grandfather make so much more sense. That's different. That's regular time machine. Oh, that's yeah. But that shouldn't have worked then. They didn't use that to uh for Fry. No, it totally works. That that's No, shut up. <laughs> okay. So we'll deal with that in a time travel episode, but the short end of this <laughs> This is the thing about Matt Groening. He doesn't have time paradoxes. Every yeah. time paradox he has gets solved. <laughs> and it's it's because your parent, like one version of you, will die. It's why there's one episode where Fry and the professor keep going to the end of the universe and then it resets and everything, and they end up going back around and then they like shoot Hitler and they, you know, before World War II can happen and they do all these other things and, um, the world ends up like off axis or whatever by six inches or by like like two feet or something so when they land they finally get back to where they were there's two of them well because the because the planet has shifted the time machine now crushes the other versions of them so paradox solved paradox solved um but at the during that movie uh better's big score because it doesn't create a paradox these two it doesn't solve itself However, Bender uses it so often, goes back in time so often, that there's a stockpile of them, and apparently every time one of these clones shows up, the next one has a doom field? Like, they're doomed. The amount of doom is just <laughs> bigger and better. And it tears a hole in the universe to do that. Paradox solved. That's the ending of that, of that, of that movie. Tears a hole in the universe? See ya, move on! <laughs> but yeah no Futurama is great because even if they have um, those giant things and they use it 
they, especially for time travel, there is no paradox. Something has to get solved. And so, like, Fry being his own grandf uh, 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 grandfather works because Fry is supposed to be back at that point to start his own genealogy. He is, he's not a paradox when you, if you're the one that creates yourself. It's a, it's also the, a Terminator. I'm not going to comment on well, this. Well, it's also a Terminator thing because with, there has to be a version of the world where what's his bucket didn't go back in time to sleep but with. But John Connor didn't father himself. <laughs> no, but there has to be a version of the future where John Connor doesn't exist because he didn't exist to go back in time. Or where what's his bucket? But Kyle is it Kyle? He was he Kyle yeah he wasn't. There's a version of the world where he where John Connor didn't exist. So therefore Kyle Reese didn't have to go back in time to create John Connor. And now we have a catch twenty two. Terminator has a paradox that cannot be solved. Futurama does not. I'm adamant about this. <laughs> We anyway, we that's a travel episode. That's a dull. I will episode. read up about. I will read up, and I will do some homework. I love time travel stories. Apparently, <laughs> I will come prepared. I, I, yeah, I'm not going to go further into it because this is not a time travel episode. Otherwise, I'm sure this could easily eat up the whole time. Stream. Yes, clearly. Yeah, Leo. Leo's already going to have to edit all this out. So, <laughs> yeah, don't. Don't derail and tangent us off into a completely different topic. So with that, I think that's sort of the big stuff on that. Now, the one note I do want to bring up is if you are doing something like your own writing or your own tabletop RPG Wait. or whatever. Yeah. What about in Final Fantasy VI when Kefka tries to destroy or when Kefka destroys the world? Oh, that's true. That is a... We're in the the statues at the in the like yeah don't don't move yeah, the statues don't mess with the statues did it anyway f you guys that was I my that was my like, second one <laughs> I love how Kefka is literally fighting with some of the crew as they're pushing trying to push him back like no 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 <laughs> he's like that's not what I wanted it's so hilarious in sixteen bits you don't move these things you don't touch it <laughs> it is currently in balance if you move it it will be in ruin. Touch the statues, you say. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. You know what? It's a little off-center. Let me feng shui this statue right here. Oh, first kill the emperor, and then uh, move this over here. And... Hmm, I don't much care for this statue over here. Let me move it. Hmm, a little bit this way. <laughs> uh, that's a load-bearing statue. Don't move that. <laughs> it holds your whole world. I forgot about that in FF6 for some reason. Like, it's such a small moment, but it's so pivotal. That was my second one. Yeah, it's it's a, actually a very rare example of the bad guy winning, and mm -hmm. he does it halfway through yeah, the game. Kefka, Kefka actually succeeded in what he was doing. He did destroy the yeah. world. Proud of him? Doesn't come up often, but when it does, <laughs> um... Proud of that guy. Good for him. <laughs> Leave you to go, oh shit, what now? <laughs> yeah, we just kind of I think your whole second half of five of six is so. Can we get a mulligan? <laughs> can we get a do-over on this? And then you're fighting for that mulligan. <laughs> Although that brings me to a sad time because FF six, I had one of the first original copies of uh, for the SNES, and the problem with that is it's. Are you going to talk about how it glitched on you? But not by much. That's about it. Um, so. The reason why so, uh, these things are kind of fun is because you can do certain things with these storylines for it. Um, one of the weirdest ones is that I bumped into... I have the tabletop RPG Cortex, 
based upon the TV show Supernatural. Now, a thing that's on that, which is ironically a, a literal gun, is the um, is the Colt revolver of Sam uh, of Samuel Colt. In the series, for those who haven't seen uh, Supernatural, it can kill all but like four things. That's it. Doesn't matter who it is, what monster it is, how powerful it is, there's only a list of four things on there it can't stop. The devil is one of them. Lucifer is one that is is the top tier of that list, and he's already a top tier guy. If my math is right, that means it can't stop Lucifer, so it can't stop an archangel, God, the queen of the monsters. You know, that's a pretty death... <laughs> It's a high tier list of things that like, <laughs> sorry, it just can't work. You still have what the millions <laughs> of other things and it's a gun. So it'll kill a person like regularly pretty easily. Yeah. Last I checked, uh, the human race was fairly soft and squishy. We can't be. Do- uh, there's lots of cool bonuses we get we in, in a mystical supernatural world. Like we can't be sealed to a point, but we can be punched out to a while. <laughs> But yeah, so like this is a this is a a thing on it, and they have notes in the Cortex manual about if you decide to have something this powerful in your game, you can kind of balance it out by forcing the story to take different turns in your RPG. One of them is that like the gun will always get lost, like it's set to be disappeared at some point, and the odds of it getting disappeared, the game master is allowed to put more and more effort into doing that over and over again to a point where there's a point in the storyline where it doesn't matter what you do, this gun's out of the play, but you can get it back later. And then you have the while they're carrying the gun, every monster knows that, you know, they have a monster killing device that powerful, so they're going to be hunting them. So it adds to your storyline for it. Hmm. So you do things like this to adjust your storyline. John Crichton with Farscape, Everyone's hunting him down because he's got the most powerful gun out there, and they want it. Um, you have um, uh, you have things like the last starfighter. We just don't use it, and it's your last ditch effort. And it's easy to make a final standoff, a final scene, get bigger when you realize that you're that you're scaled to that. The, we we don't have another option. Let's use this big option for it. And essentially, this is how the tool is used as, for writing. So, uh, for the most part, as a story element, you can use that for anything on it. Kefka's for a good example. The game doesn't end when he moves the statues. There's has a whole nother half of the game for that. And here's the world mm-hmm. as it is as a room. He just hit, he just hit a, a point of nihilism that he couldn't come back from and was like, there's no point. Y'all are fighting for nothing. There's nothing beyond here. And if done well, even some of the weaker storylines, like Tailspin, which has that, uh, where it's out after the third episode and never comes back again. That's it. It's just the one time. And the rest of the series never scales to something that powerful again. The series is episodic. They go on little adventures. But they never go to something to the point where it's going to destroy us, the Capes is at, destroy their city. Right. Because why do that? Well, if we already used our big, powerful weapon now, we don't need a story that shows that there's a big, powerful weapon in it. And these are all just general examples that are done fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, Outlaw Star, the caster shells used. How many of these we have? Two. Tops. We, we hang on to those. 
of that particular, of that particular one. particular one. There's like one. 12 caster shells or something like that? Uh, I think there's 20, but he doesn't use all of them through the series. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he ends up using like two-thirds of them, something like that. So that's that's sort of how you can handle with that plot with that as a plot device. Um, and again, this is just a t- uh, trope. The key to a trope isn't the uh, people are always like you always hear every so often someone going, "Ugh, this is so tropey because of it." The trope's not the problem. The problem is how you use it. Everything, everything is technically a trope after a while. Like there's nothing you can do. Everything that you come up with has already been done. It's just is yours clever do you have likable people is your story engaging like nothing is original harry potter is a chosen one trope like that's been done a thousand times but she did something with it that hadn't or been done can you time. just play with the trope and make it like um you play it straight or where everything is exactly like it is or do you try to subvert it subvert it and those could get really dangerous um the tmnt to, uh 2012 episode for the crossover they did it really well because they're like, yeah, after this, there is no show. The whole thing ends. And even the bad guys know this is a stupid idea. <laughs> Let us not wipe this out. Um, I think that's a good ending point for you. I don't honestly have any kind of last uh, thoughts on that. These are all the ones I can think of. Um, the only thing I can think of at uh, Video Game is uh, similar to that is like Halo. Isn't that a planet? No. Halo's a halo. Well... Oh wait! Technically, you're right. <laughs> no, it was really funny because because I've never I I don't know shit about Halo except Master Chief and Cortana, and I don't know anything about them. And so Leo was like, he said something like, "Oh, that's how that's how Reach got blown up." And I was like, "Oh, is that a ship?" And he was like, "Reach is a planet." <laughs> um, yeah, he had to tell me it was a planet because I was like, "The planet is Reach." So. You going, is Halo a planet? Technically, you're right. No, I said, is Halo a ship? It's an artificial planet, technically. Also right. But when they activate, they can level parts of the universe. That's why there's only seven of them running around. Yeah, it's basically, it's an organic life form deleter. (laughs) All right. Delete, and the whole thing's wiped. (laughs) Yeah, Control-Alt-F-U. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) That also includes everything on the Halo. Yeah. Yeah, it, it takes no no prisoners. It is not not a great thing to use. But yeah, um, yeah. you guys have any final thoughts with this? Uh, no, I don't think so. Nope. Uh, I would just say that, uh, although I mentioned Legend of Heroes earlier because I'm a Kiseki fan, Falcom fan, mm-hmm. uh, there's quite a few, uh, like the one I mentioned earlier, there's other things like that in that game series <laughs> that you encounter pretty early on <laughs> that <laughs> other people are trying to use that really shouldn't be <laughs> that would have devastating results yeah there's quite a few things a dangerous place <laughs> like that in that series as a matter of fact that come up frequently <laughs> now remember these have to be very powerful items we did not say that only had to be one <laughs> You could you could have a pile if you want. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Here you go. The one there, one there, one there. <laughs> yeah. I guess I could part with one of my doomsday devices. This time. I mean I've got twelve more. Oh, the professor from Future was amazing with that. He's like, well <laughs> Damn you, Pazuzu. So on that note, the next episode will be coming out on July first. Um, if you happen to be in the um 
Boise, Idaho area, by that point, we will be doing a live podcast in a convention center. And I'll be posting that information, uh, that up later down the line. So with that being said, thanks for everybody who's listening uh, with you with another EXP Boost. Uh, This is Gaming Theater, logging out. Take care. Peace out. Bye. Bye. Gaming Theater Podcast is hosted, created, produced, and edited by Leo Garcia, the Geek Scorpio. Our music is A Drinking Game. Stock media provided by Stormwave Audio slash Pond5. Our cover art is by Adam Parker. You can find him at ParkerGFX on Twitter. If you want to send us some financial support to help with producing things for Gaming Theater, you can do so at Patreon.com slash Gaming Theater Presents. It helps us out. Want to send support that doesn't hit your wallet? Please leave a review with wherever you hear your podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. It really helps out. Thank you for listening.